I have a little bit of an introduction, but those of you who don't know me yet, my name is David Bates. As it was mentioned, I am English, but I've actually lived in the United States now for about 10 years. Um, but I grew up in England, and I had a fairly typical English upbringing. I learned how to love tea from a very early age. <laughs> uh, I was taught how to play cricket. And obviously, when I got a little bit older, my parents sent me to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft. <laughs> I'm sure many of you have read the biographies of my life written by J.K. Rowling. <laughs> but I now live in sunny San Diego. I moved to California because I didn't think I deserved rain anymore. <laughs> and I go to a Byzantine parish. Uh, I was really excited to find out that Father Nish is going to be speaking on the Eastern Rites of the Church a little later. Uh, if you have questions about the Eastern Churches after his talk and you don't get a chance to speak to him, please feel free to try me. As was also mentioned, the other important thing to know about me is that I'm a blogger. I, in every single talk I give, I always make sure I have a shameless plug for my website, <laughs> restlesspilgrim.net. Uh, and this talk is going to be uploaded there later this week. And there you can also listen to other talks I've given, other articles I've written. So I'd invite you to like the Facebook page, subscribe to the newsletter, and subscribe to the podcast, which will be starting after Lent. But before we go any further, we should begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I pray that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and discernment so that we may know you better and love you more. Give us an understanding heart so that we may be open to hear your voice when you say, this is the path, walk in it. Let us be your hands and feet, your voice, your heart, that we may be channels through which you pour out your grace to the world. May Christ be seen in our lives. And I ask this in the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, for in whom I pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so before we go any further, we got rid of all the married people. Please look around your areas. If you see anyone with a ring on, kick them out. <laughs> with the exception of Dave's wife. He's, he's a big dude. I'm, I'm, not kick <laughs> I'm not kicking his wife out of anything. Uh, Gentry and I started talking about this retreat a month and a half ago. And... I'll admit I got a little defensive when he first suggested that I talk about relationships. It's like, wait, what have you heard? <laughs> but then he explained the, the plan for today, that we would split up the, the retreatants, the marrieds would get their talk, and everyone else would come here. And in doing this, we can have quite a diverse group. There may be people here who are actively considering and discerning priesthood or religious life. Some might be in the early stages of dating, some might not be seeing anyone, and some might be in you know, committed relationships for a few years. So I've got quite a challenge, but what I'm going to aim to do in this talk is say something which is applicable and useful to everybody, whichever of those categories you fall into. Now, when I first started preparing this talk, I canvassed my friends. I said, I'm going to have a room full of single Catholics what should I say? Now, some of my friends suggested that I bring some printouts with me of their Catholic match profile <laughs> and just, just, just hand them out. 
But my more helpful friends, they suggested that I give a talk based on uh, a series that I wrote um, a few years ago. And it was basically my reflection on the Catholic dating scene, some of the problems that I saw and some suggestions for how we can fix it. But in the end, I concluded that there are plenty of talks out there on the do's and don'ts of Catholic dating. And while those are important topics to discuss, after a bit of prayer, I felt that there was something a little different that I wanted to talk about, something a little bit more fundamental. When it comes to romance and Christianity, you often hear people say, wait until marriage. But I would like to say, no, don't wait. Now, before I get blacklisted on every single Catholic speaking gig ever, <laughs> let me just clarify what I mean. Don't squander your single years simply waiting to get into a relationship. Or if you're in a relationship, don't wish away that time until that relationship turns into marriage. And I think this is an important thing to recognize because I'm sure we all have a friend who clearly wants to be in a relationship but isn't and complains about it constantly. If you don't have a friend that does that, it might be you. <laughs> and not only is most of that complaining pretty pointless, it's also amazingly unattractive. Because it's, worth, it's important that everybody knows here that your worth is not determined by your Facebook relationship status. You know, your value doesn't come from what you have or what you can do. It comes from who you are. And you, your value is intrinsic. It comes from the fact that you are an image bearer of God. Now, some people seem to think of their single years as kind of like a waiting room where you just sit there twiddling your thumbs, waiting for something to happen for your turn. Some think of it like the previews before a feature film. That's what you're here for. It's like, get rid of this other stuff. And some people think of it as just like treading water. You're just sitting there waiting for the ship to come by and rescue you. Well, once I get married, then I'll really start living. That's a really tragic mindset. And even if we don't consciously think things like that, I think it's, it's very, it can very easily unwittingly become our perspective. That we're here just killing time until Mr. or Miss Wright turns up. And I think a lot of these problems flow from a misunderstanding of what marriage is. And we've spoken about a lot of these things today. I actually had a phone call with Dave a few weeks ago just to talk about what we were each going to discuss. And it looked like it was going to fit really nicely. And it's been great hearing it. It's like, oh, I talk about that as well. But marriage is not going to fix everything in your life. I mean, and it's, marriage's purpose isn't even necessarily to make you happy. It's to make you holy. It's to get you to heaven. St. Francis de Sales said that marriage was the most intense form of mortification here on earth. Kind of like a lifelong Lent. <laughs> you see the person who's marrying just nodding sagely. And although this might disappoint some people, I also have to point out that your future spouse is not going to fulfill all your needs and desires. We so often think that the ache we have within us is for a spouse, but that ache is really ultimately for God. Because Jerry Maguire was wrong. 
sorry, John, Tom Cruise, you know, you know, and a person is not going to complete you. No, that's, that, that's God, that's his job. St. Augustine wrote in his confessions, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts will wander restless until we rest in you. I'm reminded of a story by Christopher West. We had Theology of the Body mentioned earlier. Christopher West is one of the guys who, who's really popularized it. And he tells the story of when he's sitting at his dinner table with his wife. And he reaches over and he takes her hand, looks at her lovingly and says, Honey, you do not fully satisfy me. And his wife, because she's obviously very well formed in the Theology of the Body as well, knew where he's going with this. And she looks back at him lovingly, gives hand a little squeeze. Sweetheart, you don't either. <laughs> Only God can fully satisfy the human heart. A spouse just isn't up to the challenge. And it should also be pointed out that regardless of what you think now, you might not actually end up with the sacrament you're anticipating. I like to say, until you have a ring on your finger, a habit on your back, or a dog collar around your neck, <laughs> you are still discerning. Maybe God is calling you to marriage. That's statistically likely. But he may also, well, maybe not also, but he may instead be calling you to priesthood or religious life, or perhaps you won't do either. And if that's the case, then it should help us focus on making the most of our current state in life, because it might end up being the permanent one. What could be worse than coming to the end of your life and looking back and thinking that you wasted it because you spent your entire time simply waiting for something to happen that didn't happen. Or rushing into an ill-advised marriage and then spending the rest of your life regretting it. In this talk, I'd like to present an alternative. Rather than living in the future, embracing this stage of your life. Because once you get into a relationship, things change. You know, they certainly change when you get married and they definitely change when you have children. At the moment, you guys have so much freedom. You're free to do whatever you want with your time, with your disposable income, where you live. At the moment, you have complete unfettered access to the remote control. <laughs> and all that could change in the future. So make the most of it now. Now, I don't want this to be construed as an invitation to hedonism. I have a different end in mind. By all means, enjoy this part of the journey. I mean, it's a gift from God. Live in the present, but in such a way that is purposeful and that stands you in good stead for whatever God has in mind for you next. And that's really what the rest of this talk is about. I'd like to look at four key areas that I'd invite you to particularly pay attention to and invest in during this time in your life. Four areas, friendships, discernment, virtue, and service. Let's look at each of those in turn. It's been mentioned before today. Use this time to choose good friends. I would suggest you should be looking for your bridesmaids and your groomsmen before you go looking for your bride or your groom. It's, it's important to be part of a team in life. And we have so many wonderful examples of this. The Power Rangers, 
The Avengers. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In all of those movies, the lesson is always, it is better when we are together. But we're shaped by those who surround us. In 1 Corinthians, St. Paul says that bad company ruins good morals. Well, what we want is the opposite of that. What I want to do is I want to surround myself with a saint-making machine. And saints typically come in clusters. For example, did you know St. Francis Xavier, St. Ignatius of Loyola? College roommates. If you go into the early church, the same is true for St. Gregory and St. Basil. Likewise, use this time to build good relationships with your family. There might come a time when you won't see them as often. You might have to move away. Or if you're married, you might have to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving at your spouse's family. And it's also worth pointing out that someone you're dating, this is probably one of the things that they're going to look at. And a lot of my female friends will say that they will look at the guys that they're dating. They want to see how they treat their mother or their sisters. So find good friends, but particularly spend time with couples you admire. So many marriages are broken. Divorce is rampant. It's very easy to become cynical if that's the only narrative you hear. Think about TV shows and movies. How many of them, can you, would you say, present a married couple as happy, loving, and vibrant? Yeah, probably a few, but that number is very, very small. Currently, I have a unique living situation. I'm living with two of my very close friends who are married with their, and their yeah, four-month-old daughter. And I can absolutely say living with them has been a real education. Living in such close proximity to them and witnessing how they live out married life. And they've, they've each said some very profound things when they've been talking to me about life. I remember the wife, she said, oh no, it was the husband. He said to me, when you get married, you find out who you really are. You find out who you are when you have to live in very close proximity to somebody else. You know, it really shows your own character, your own patience. And uh, a month or two after they brought their little, little girl home, uh, the wife said to me, when you have a child, you find out who you married. Because you get to see what somebody is like when, for example, they have had very little sleep. When, <laughs> when they are getting up for the nth time in the middle of the night. But even before these two got married, I was already learning so much from their relationship. He and I were housemates together. And I saw the way he dated her. I remember one time in particular, he organized a surprise event for her. He smuggled all of this stuff to a place called uh, Sunset Cliffs. Absolutely gorgeous. San Diego, everyone's beautiful, but this, this place was particularly beautiful. And he, he brought her there and he had, you know, tables, chairs, cutlery, flowers, all the meals, he, he, the whole nine yards. And it's by the beach and there was a jogger who was running past and he took a picture of, of, of what he saw. And he later put it up on Reddit and we came across it. And he put up this picture with a caption of, this guy is making the rest of us look really, 
really bad. <laughs> now, maybe that's true, but I found it inspiring. Being around that kind of relationship made me realize the kind of guy that I wanted to be, how I wanted to pursue a woman. So it's really important to surround yourself with a team, people who are married, people who are single, because these are the people that you're going to go to for advice. This is why you should choose them very carefully. For example, I might say, oh, I'm thinking of asking out so-and-so. And these are the friends who might say to me, I'm not sure about that. Or maybe, I think it's a bit soon after your last relationship. I think you might need to wait a little bit. Or sometimes, go for it. And these also might be the people that will give you that kick that you sometimes need. Dude, you've been talking about it for weeks. Just go and ask her out. And these are the people who are also going to speak into your life when you need to hear something. And I really would recommend your inner circle, the people that you really trust, who you regard as wise and holy, say to them, I give you permission to tell me some hard truths if I need to hear them. I really value your opinion. Don't wait for me to ask you. If you think I'm heading off in a bad direction, I need you to come and tell me. Because these people are going to know you the best. How's everyone's Lent going? Mine's horrible. It's because I let those two friends choose some of my Lenten penances. <laughs> they zeroed in on my weak spots with incredible accuracy. So the lesson of that story is don't let friends choose your Lenten penances. <laughs> and a final reason for building good friendships and a good posse of people around you is this is fertile ground for really good romantic relationships. In the Song of Songs, the bridegroom says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. There's a lot to be said for building a romance on a good friendship. And there are some potential complications in this area, but we're a little restricted on time, so I'm not going to say much more about that. But if you'd like to know my thoughts on my blog, restlesspilgrim.net, <laughs> I've written an article on friends first dating. So, the first area, friendships. Invest in them now. The second one, discernment. We each have a vocation in life. The word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, meaning to call. And although this word can be used more broadly to de describe different kinds of calling in life, we typically use it in the sense of whether someone's called to married life, uh, priesthood, monastic life, consecrated celibacy. And the point that I really want to make in talking about this area is don't simply assume your vocation, actively discern it. Many people assume that they're called to marriage and don't even consider the possibility that God might be calling them to something different. And when I talk about discernment, I'm not talking about some vague navel-gazing. I firmly believe that discernment is doing. Discernment is active. There have been two points in my life where I have seriously considered whether or not I was called to the priesthood. The first time was awful. I basically sat in my room, felt, felt angsty, and was just waiting for a sign from God. I did that for a few months. It was horrible. But the second time was a few years later, and that was so much better. It was intentional. It was purposeful, and I had a plan. 
So set yourself up for success when it comes to discernment. Firstly, I'm of the opinion that everybody should have a spiritual director. So if you don't have one, start looking around, find good priests in particular. Can be other people, but start there. And the other thing that I think everybody should do is try and get to the Adoration Chapel. Spend time adoring the Lord in silence on a regular basis. Now, at times in my life, my work schedule has become incredibly hectic. And I couldn't do, say, a full hour. So I could just do about 30 minutes. I called it a holy half. <laughs> now, duration is great, but I would say regularity is much better. Are you creating space in your life regularly to allow God to speak to you? To allow him to guide you into the vocation that he's calling you to? Remember, vocare is to call. You have to be listening. So those are two general suggestions. But let's say you think you might be being called to the priesthood or monastic life. Again, be purposeful. Spend time with seminarians, priests, monks, nuns. Talk to them. Ask for their story. And spend time with them and see what their day-to-day -day lives look like. Visit seminaries, monasteries, convents. And if you think you're called to monastic life, date an order. You know, I'm going to go date the Benedictines for a little while. Read and ask for good book recommendations. One of the best books that really helped in my discernment for the priesthood was To Save a Thousand Souls. It's by Brett Brannan. Really goes through everything in the priest's life, the calling, what the priesthood is and what it isn't. And if you think you're called to married life, just do equivalent things. We've said it before, seek out couples that you respect. Ask them for their story. It's actually one of, I think it was one of the first questions I asked Dave last night. How did you meet your wife? You can correct the story later. I'm sure it was full of inaccuracies. <laughs> but ask for their advice. They've been doing this for much longer. And spend time with them and see what day-to-day -day married life is like. Trust me, it's not like The Bachelor. <laughs> and start forming an idea of what you're looking for in a future spouse. Because you want to avoid making decisions out of possible loneliness or desperation, compromising where you shouldn't, or entering disastrous relationships simply because you don't want to be alone. This is why it's good to have an idea of what you're looking for in a marriage and in a spouse. And I, I'm not talking about making a list that includes requirements like, must be six foot and play the ukulele. <laughs> you laugh, I've seen lists like that. And the last thing on the question of discernment, everybody has issues, everybody has baggage that they will be bringing into a relationship or vocation, whatever it may be. Now is a good time to start dealing with that baggage before it's complicated by adding another person or another major vocation. Reflect on your past relationships. Can you give a good objective assessment of them? It's like, why did you break up? Oh, she was crazy. That's not going to quite cut it. Use this time to find some healing. And I thoroughly recommend getting some therapy or counselling. I was in counselling for a year. It was worth every moment and every penny to go and deal with some of those issues while I didn't have the complication of somebody else in my life. Having said that, if you do have someone else in your life, still go. So, first one was talking about building friendships. Second area was discernment. Area number three is virtue. As I said earlier in this talk, the time you have now is a gift. 
So use this time to draw near to God. Establish a regular prayer routine, an interior life. Because growing in your faith is important because if you do get married, you will be the primary catechists, the primary teachers of the faith to your children. And if you become a monk or a priest or a nun, you'll be involved in the formation of your community. And in the meantime, the more you grow closer to Christ, the more you can draw other people to him and to his church. And so make the most of these opportunities. Come to retreats like this. Go to Bible studies. If you end up getting married and having kids, that's going to get increasingly harder as your spousal and family responsibilities grow. Carve out time for silence and solitude. Again, I live in a household with a four-month-old. Silence is not something I get too much of. And frequent the sacraments. At the moment, you can go to Mass whenever you want. Whenever you want. And when I speak to my married friends, they, they tell me I, I should go to confession regularly. They said there's nothing better preparing you for marriage than going and saying sorry on a very regular basis. <laughs> and use this time not just to grow in faith, but also in virtue. So I think a lot of people believe in what I call the magic wedding ring. Here's the idea. You're on your wedding day, you go up to the altar, you, your wife or your husband puts that ring on, and then poof, all of your character flaws, all of your vices, gone. You are nothing but the paragon of virtue. Which is, of course, nonsense. Virtue has to be developed over time. When does an Olympic athlete start preparing for his race? It's not seconds before. It's not minutes before. Hours. Days. Weeks. Months. An Olympian starts preparing years before. So that he's disciplined. And so that when, when, the, when the moment comes, he's ready. So start growing in virtue. Become the person that you would want to marry. Become the person that you'd want your son and daughter to marry. You know, we all want to marry somebody that's wonderful. But don't just look for a future spouse with all the virtues that you want. Develop within yourself the virtues that a person like that would deserve. And out of all the virtues, particularly growing chastity, the virtue that allows us to love rightly, Pope St. John Paul II said that only the chaste man and the chaste woman are even capable of true love. People that want to get married want true love. So the Pope says, in that case, be chaste. And part of that means ditching the porn, if that's part of your life. And as mentioned earlier, this isn't just something that affects guys. And pornography is not only toxic, it is the worst preparation for any kind of vocation. Because it trains us to seek gratification without sacrifice. It trains us to reduce people to objects, an object to use rather than a person to love. And if you want to grow in virtue, I think there's no better practice than fasting. And fasting isn't just from food or certain types of food. It can be from other things like TV and social media. And whereas pornography teaches self-indulgence, Fasting teaches self-discipline. There's a group called E5 Men. Uh, it comes from Ephesians 5 Men. And on the first Wednesday of every month, the guys who are subscribed, they take a bread and water fast for their vocation, 
for their wife, for their future wife, or for the church. What could be a better gift than on your wedding day to tell your wife that you've been fasting for her for years before you even met her? And it's fundamental to virtue and vocation because it allows us to achieve self-mastery. And it's not just for its own sake. We master ourselves so we can give ourselves away in love, either to a person or to the church. So, invest time in friendships. Take time to seriously and actively discern. Grow in virtue. And the last one is find places to serve, service. And I'm going to be brief here. But be generous with the life that God has given you. Imitate Christ by serving others. And do this in whatever capacity you can, with whatever time, talent, and treasure God has given you. But in particular, support the local ministries of the church. And if you see a need, and there isn't a ministry that supports that, go to your priest. Start it. Your service of Christ speaks very powerfully to the world. But it has an added advantage. It trains you in the practice of dying to yourself, putting others ahead of yourself. And it really doesn't matter what vocation you end up in. That's going to be an excellent preparation. So friendship, discernment, virtue, and service. What if you haven't really been focusing on these up until now? That's easy. Start today. But what if it all seems like a lot of work. Well, that's vocation. What do you think marriage is going to be? What do you think priesthood is going to be? What do you think monastic life is going to be? Anything that's worth anything, you usually work for it. And there's no such thing as an easy vocation. But when you work and you find this vocation, there is also joy. Okay, I've got about two minutes left. Time is running down and the timetable is going to march on. So... If you want to ask questions or talk to me about this, just come and grab me. But let me just pull together a few little things as closing remarks. Don't wish away any stage of your life. Enjoy the season. Embrace it. It's a gift from God. If you let him, he will allow you to use your current situation to make you a saint. Spend this time wisely. Build up around yourself a community of wise faithful, holy men and women, married and single, who are going to point you towards heaven. Carefully discern your vocation. Grow in virtue. Become the man or woman that God is calling you to be. And imitate Christ by serving others. God may choose to prepare you for heaven by calling you to one vocation or another. But regardless of what he has in mind next, he's calling you now. He's calling you to live for him. For him, through him, with him, and in him. I send in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for this stage in our life. Another opportunity to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Train us to be true disciples. To give all that we have to you knowing that you are a good father and you will lead us if we will let you to heaven. 
And we ask this in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.